permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, never say die ass. What can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. We've had several weeks to think about anything that we may have missed about The Gate from 1987. A very enjoyable talk, uh, and I'm really looking forward to jumping back into this. Before we get to those thoughts, because it's a podcast about movies and role-playing games, Rafe, uh, is there a movie uh, or gaming or podcasting that you'd like to recommend to me or our listeners? Uh, yeah, I'm making up for lost time on movies because when we recorded the the gate, I was end of the school year was kind of the rally cry. Now my rally cry is summer break. So uh, as I mentioned last time, I tend to try and do a new to me movie each day of summer break, and I've and I've already immediately kind of kicked off with the way I normally do things. So like my first movie was Cocaine Bear, you know, a movie that I missed in theaters earlier this year. I did watch it and go man, the idea of adding some weird effects to creatures in D&D could really make for fun gaming experience that the players are, are not expecting. But then, like, I did Fantastic Planet, which is on the list of, like, 1001 movies. I'd never seen that before. But, you know, we are a podcast that uh, right now is about kids on bikes films. And it turns out that I had several movies saved in my Amazon Prime queue uh, of kids on bikes-esque films, movies that I had not heard of, movies that I had not seen on any list that I wanted to check out. And I have seen two of them, Drew, and I want to uh, uh, run them by you real quick. One is called The Sneakover. Are you familiar with The Sneakover? No, I've never heard of this. Okay, so this is about a group of young boys on bikes who uh, are having a sleepover the our protagonist is kind of the odd man out awkward he's never done this before they have like this film club for their school uh he's invited because he has this incredibly rare film and he leaves the rare film back at his house so they have to sneak out to go get the film the neighborhood plays an essential part of the story because there are bullies to get by Hmm. It is not a fantastic movie because it uses a device where it does like comic book panels to fill in stuff that they didn't film or, hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And at first it's like, okay, well, that's a nice little gimmick. It's breaking away from the story. Here's some comic panels. But later in the film, it like replaces the climax. It replaces like high action moments because I'm guessing their budget was too low or they didn't want to film dangerous stuff with kids. Um, but it still was an interesting kids on bikes type story. It's not one that I would have brought to the podcast, but still the one that I wish I had seen before we did the gate, because I very well might have replaced this movie with that one is called unhuman. I've not heard of this. Unhuman is about a group of high schoolers who are on a field trip out to uh, the countryside, out to the wilderness, etc. When the zombie infestation begins, hmm. it is a Blumhouse film which means the gore and the effects are on point. Mm -hmm. uh, does have a little bit of the difficulty that we've talked about with one of the characters kind of taking center stage and the other characters kind of backing off for a little while, but it's not as bad as we've seen it in some other movies. But I recommend Unhuman. I really enjoyed it. It does not have great scores, uh, but I, I recommend it. I had a lot of fun with that. If you like zombie movies. And the interesting thing is it, it has a twist, 
to it that I'm, I'm trying really hard to make sure I don't accidentally spoil. But between that twist <laughs> and between it being a zombie film, we go back to something that I wrote one of my papers about in college, which is the zombie film as a form of social commentary. There is a metaphor in play here, and Always. I loved it. Yeah. Well, and that's a beautiful thing. I, I generally feel that most of the best horror films have a social commentary right. at its at its heart. And, yeah. you know, it's a metaphor for it. So and there, and again, there are always movies to to prove the exception. Uh, sure. To that, but so yeah, so there's there's two kids on bikes esque type movies. I really, I totally think we could have done an episode on on, on human. Frankly, we could have done an episode on the sneak over. It just wouldn't have been a very positive. Uh, as even though we try to be positive, it wouldn't have been sure. one of our one of our better episodes. But uh, they're both worth checking out if you like kids on bikes movies. I mean, if you're coming to this podcast and it's your first episode you're listening to, we're we're only going to be doing twelve kids on bikes movies, and and we're finishing up our 11th film we only have one more to go uh there's a lot of films that we didn't talk about yeah. i mean there's a lot of films that i think people are probably going to even be upset that we aren't going to be talking about and that's fine uh but <laughs> you know we we chose 11 films so far i have i know what we're going to be talking about and we'll be announcing that at the end of this podcast so stay tuned for that one uh that's cool uh, anything else that you want to uh, mention movie wise uh spider-man across the spider-verse is awesome okay Good. I haven't seen it yet. I know. Uh, like I have tried to go three or four times in the last week, and it just hasn't worked out. Yeah. Um. I've only watched two movies. Uh. Again, since the last time we recorded, I think two or three movies, not many. But I was in a mood the other day, and I decided to rewatch Gross Point Blank, oh. um, which I don't know why I was in the mood for that one, but I had picked it up uh, fairly recently. I picked up a, a very nice. I had a nice trip to the used media store and picked up a lot of really good stuff. Um, and that was the film. I had all these Criterion DVDs that I just got. I'm like, ooh, fancy, good, you know, international, acclaimed films. Yeah, gross point blank. Uh, and I, I love it. it. It's one of my and, favorite yeah. movies. And it's one of the films that I hadn't seen in probably 20 years, and it definitely hits differently yeah. in your 40s than it did in your teens or early 20s. Um, and I know the characters are supposed to be in their mid-20s, late 20s, you know, like they're like hitting 30. None of them look like they are, but life experience makes that film a lot more poignant. Now, I don't like the ending, but that's, you know, there's some weirdness with that, but that's perfectly fine. Uh, And then the other film I watched in lieu of my massive Criterion collection, uh, 1976 Queen Kong, which is, um, it's sort of like a a Mel Brooks, uh, like they trying to be Mel Brooks or an Abraham Zucker, uh, Zucker, Abraham Zucker kind of esque film uh, playing on the then popular 1978's uh, King Kong that came out. Uh, it was so bad and they got sued so much that it never actually got a theatrical release and wasn't released on DVD until like 2001. But I've heard, you know, it's it's a cult film. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, it's huge in Japan. I watch it. It is very difficult to watch by yourself. Um, I imagine that watching it with a group of people or like at a midnight show would be uh, the preferable. I mean, it kind of, it's almost so bad it's good. Almost. Mm-hmm. But actually what's interesting about it is the music in it is really good. And the music is a uh, narrative song. So it's kind of giving you like in these weird uh, characters running around montages, the music is playing and it's telling you sort of what's happening. And um, that's really enjoyable. So two movies where the music is is quite it's probably not the best part of it. Certainly, gross point blank. But like, um, yeah. yeah. So that's that's it. Uh, how about gaming for you? 
Uh, well, I, I hate to keep climbing on the everyday heroes train, but that's like my fascination right now. Um, sure. Highlander and Total Recall Cinematic World books have come out, at least in digital form. I haven't gotten a chance to look at them yet. I've downloaded mm -hmm. them because uh, I'm still looking at the last ones that came out. Sure. But yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see how they do Highlander. Like I want to I want to understand how you do a group in a movie that is specifically there can be only one. You know, how do you how do you do that? I have always felt that was its down point because, um, you know, as a as a big Highlander fan, in fact, on, on the other podcast that I do, we just discussed the Highlander TV series. Mm. And that was one of the things that, that, that came up a number of times is how do you do a compelling story when only one of your characters uh, traditionally is supposed to be an immortal and... Uh, there's there's a couple of workarounds that they've shown in the show, sure. But maybe for like sessions, campaign seems weird. I think that's yeah. sort of the, the same problem that you have with something like I don't know, Vampire the Masquerade, where like the dynamics don't always work. Or um, for me, it was always everyone wanted to do combat, and I always wanted to do talky talk stuff. Right. Like, I really like the more character development when it comes to those kind of stories. So you really, again, it's going to be. I think really important to have a, a zero session in which everyone really is on the same level. I have played one role-playing game since the last time we chatted. I, I played with my teens and, um, you know, we had the uh, uh, record high number of players. They all seem to really enjoy it. How many is record high? Seven. Um, mm, okay. Which is, that's getting pretty big. Uh, I, and I've already got seven signed up for the next session, which has a max of 10, which is not something I really wanted to do, but it is a public event at a library. So right. you really, you know, it's very hard to justify uh, a three hour event at a library when you can only allow five people. So we have to make it a little bigger. And the teens really liked it. Um, I, I had a friend who had passed away the night before, or at least I'd found about it. And it was kind of put me, you know, as it does in a not great mood. I think it was one of the worst gaming experience. I let a couple of characters just do what they wanted to do. Uh, sorry, players do what they wanted to do. Um, and it just kind of brought, not the, brought the mood down, but it really made it kind of focused on them. But the other players rallied around supporting the actions of those characters. So they absolutely saved that session. And it makes me so hopeful for these very young players who, you know, some of them, this is their first time. Some of them, they've only been playing for like a couple of months. So to see that level of commitment and adaptability for role play uh, sure. in young players makes me so hopeful for the future of this industry and play in general. So that's pretty cool. Uh, anything podcasting wise that you'd like to recommend? No. And in fact, I probably won't have much in the way of podcasts because I do listen to fewer podcasts during the summer. So yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah. Probably not going to have as much there, although I'll, I'll certainly take recommendations and, and, and look, check things out. Uh, the only thing I have to recommend, the only new thing that I've listened to is um, Screen Drafts, which we've talked about a number of times on here, is sure. trying a new offshoot of the show called The Marathon, where they're taking an already existing top seven list and um, two people are taking that list and then um, role-playing a marathon, so a four-movie marathon. So they're drafting the movies that have already been drafted and talking about when they would put them in a 6, 8, 10 o'clock, and then midnight showing of their theater. And the role-playing aspect comes from every session they're allowed to have one amenity added to their theater. So they've only done one, and the, the idea is with amenities, you if one person gets the amenities, the other person can't get the same amenities. So, you know, in the very first episode, one person picks bathrooms. So the other person can't have bathrooms in this theater. Bathrooms aren't an amenity. <laughs> well, they're like, well, I'll take seats then. So uh, one person has bathrooms, but no seats. 
a theater I would definitely go to. I like the idea of bringing your chair or, or kind of like laying out and, and kind of enjoying that. I've watched movies on the side of a hill before. The lack of bathrooms for a eight-hour movie marathon is a bit much. But they did time travel movies, something I really like. They recommended several movies I had never seen before. So mm. um, I've added some new time travel movies to my list. So that's really fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Uh, anytime someone has a podcast that involves some form of gamification, but they haven't gelled, they haven't finished what, what it's going to be, I'm always interested. And I always have to stop myself from emailing them long lists. Of like, here's how I would gamify your program. Because it's not my program. So uh, <laughs> that's always tricky. That's what happens when you have my brain where I am gamifying everything. I think I mean, that's a that's it for me. That's uh, yeah. sort of the setup. So not too long ago, two weeks in fact, we talked about The Gate. I think we both really, really enjoyed this film. Yeah. So now it's time for us to take a second opinions with The Gate. Anything that we may have forgot either about the movie or the role-playing game. And before I get to your opinion of it, I did want to share, I did a little bit of research. In the last episode, you made the observation that at one point in time early in the film, uh, the kids light a uh, ignition rocket with a, a fuse and a match. And I'm like, well, I certainly feel like I remember that, but I also grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where everyone, it's, I think it's by law you're required to um, shoot fireworks on a regular basis, <laughs> um, especially as a really young child in the most dangerous situations imaginable. So uh, I looked it up and I found this from Rocketry Forum, uh, just to make it perfectly clear, the inventors of model rocket motors never intended them to be used with fuses. The patent submissions in 1954 call for the motors to be ignited electronically, not with a match or a fuse. In fact, it was written in the very first model rocketeer, Volume 1, from February of 1958, quote, Do's and don'ts of model rocketry that basic electrical ignition system circuits have been the standard of launching uh, and have been since this day. Uh, it says, Let's. This is the comment on the the website. Let's be a little more careful about how we talk about the early days of the hobby. Um, <laughs> and my response is that. So the answer is actually yes, you can, but no, you shouldn't. Right. And I saw this comment from you, and I actually then took that into account when I was troping my character. <laughs> oh, I like that. I think that's. I think that's very clever. While I troped my character, and I think it's it came out fine. I always think about how you trope the other characters because part of a project I may want to do is trope all the characters from all the movies that we've done and make a database for anybody who wants to play any of the characters that we've we've discussed. Because once I... I love making characters. And not as much as I make world building, but I just like to see how a rule system works when sure. you need to make it bend to a character idea that you have versus um, creating a character idea based on the rules that exist. So I've thought about it. It's something that we may do. Um, any second thoughts that you have about the movie itself? Uh, the only thing I think I forgot to mention is that the demons are cool as hell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're <laughs> no, super neat. I, I actually uh, did rewatch the film just to see if there was anything I missed. And no, I, I feel like we did a pretty good job talking about it. So you've watched the movie twice uh, in the last month. Yes. I almost rewatched it. So I found a DVD copy of it at the used media store. I have been looking. I have not had any luck. There is, and I, I believe it is Arrow, has a special edition. It has commentary. The DVD that I found used did not have commentary. It was just mm -hmm. simply a DVD. And I thought, one, it's a hard one to find, and so it was a little bit more expensive than I wanted to pay, especially if I'm going to buy a physical copy of a movie and pay a little, that little extra. I want the VAM. And so if a company right. like Arrow is going to you know, put the effort into making a special edition, a special print, and everything like that, 
if it's a little extra money, I imagine that that is a film. I have talked about this film to so many people in the last month, and I think that's one of those kind of enduring legacies of a film that that good. So, yeah. I think that was the the only other thing that I could think of as far as... Well, actually, I had nothing about the movie. Uh, I think the movie's perfectly fine. We forgot to mention the fact that... Um, the the force kind of could put, could possess people. We right. saw the manifestations of these illusions of the, of the parents, but we didn't actually really talk about um, Terry being a possessed individual, a la Ash in in um, Evil Dead. Evil Dead, right? Right. And he's very. The makeup is very reminiscent of yes. that. So the only thing I wanted to to mention in the role playing game aspect is possession, and there's a lot of different ways that you can use possession. Um, almost every game system that has some kind of supernatural horror is going to have a possession rule. The only thing I wanted to add to that is that if a character is possessed, any damage that they may have been taken while possessed by the threat, once the threat has been eliminated, they're fine. If we're if we're keeping with the movie, you right. know, like Terry gets what, what is arguably the most violent part of the movie gets a Barbie doll leg to his eye. Right. <laughs> and like there is a scene where the Barbie is sticking out of his head in the most briefest of flashes. Like it's almost just suggestive. Now, did I pause it to see how it was done? Of course I did. Of course you did. That's how I watch movies. And uh, I was, I was just like, this is such a like I've never seen that a sharpened Barbie foot. Yeah, pretty. I cool. actually did have that in my notes when I was looking at my notes today. I was like, oh yeah, we didn't talk about the Barbie. Well, we did talk about improvised weapons and improvised, you know, because we that yeah. refers back to what we talked about with attack the block. Yeah, and I really like the idea that you know, had one of us maybe gotten Al, then a um uh, a Barbie weapon because it's something that she had thrown away and put in the closet, and that's the other thing that's right. really cool is it's not a thing that she's using anymore. So it's like I have. Put away childish things, though I will also now use these childish things to stab a zombie in the eye. Right. So yeah, I think that's yeah sort I, I mean, of we it did as far as the pretty second, yeah. thorough job talking about the movie and the game in our in our last episode. I think. Yeah. So let's stat our draft picks. Um, of course, you know we we've picked two characters. Um, eventually, which is in a very short period of time. Uh, we are going to take all of the drafts characters that we have on our team and whittle it down to seven kids and one peripheral adult. Um, and as we do so, we're going to be statting each one, potentially for a role-playing game that we may or may not be using. So, Rafe, you got Glenn. I did. How are you statting Glenn? So I did all of this before I, I looked at our shared document. I just want to say that. <laughs> Uh, I, I have his fear, and I, I'm interested to your interpretation of this, Drew. I, I thought about the dream sequence at the beginning of the movie. Is his fear isolation, mm-hmm. or is his fear change, which is age-appropriate for his character, by the way? Yeah, I actually think it might be change. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the main crux of the film actually is the um, relationship change between Al and, and Glenn, uh, even though it's not as prominent as the possession of his friends and right. the demonic hellscape that is opening up in their backyard. But I think the, really the, the heart of what is happening is Glenn realizes that Al is not a, a kid anymore. Um, and I, that's, that's Al's story. That's her arc. Right. And Glenn is like kind of upset about that because he's his rocket buddies leaving. And that's, right. a, that's a big deal for him. All right. Well, speaking of it being a big deal for him, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that to, to to change though. So his fear has changed. But speaking of him being disappointed by his rocket buddy, that's because he's an over eager enthusiast. 
oh, yes, uh, yes. specifically about rocketry or space. I think more focused on rocketry, but I, I, I could open it up a little bit to be space. Mm-hmm. Although that's more that's more Al's room than than his room. You know, right. just going on the room, it's I think the rocketry. Um, he has the strength of being intuitive and being lucky. Uh-huh. Because, uh, you know, he didn't blow up his hand when he lit the <laughs> rocket with a fuse. <laughs> sure, of course, yes. His flaw, I'm still torn on this one, is I said impatient originally, but I uh-huh. think I'm going to change that to being oversensitive. I think his flaw is being oversensitive. Yeah, I think he's in a fairly stressful situation to begin with, but that makes sense. So that that aspect of the change makes sense to, to that he might over... Not... Huh. Yeah, he... Yeah. He's, he's sensitive to the change. So I think anytime you would have something and change is an interesting fear, right? Because change right. happens constantly. It's, it's a lot more common than say zombies or but so is fear of change. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I know a lot of people who do not deal well with change. So sure. His knack is model rocketry, uh-huh. which again, kind of goes with that for his backpack. His physical is that he has a model rocket with an ignition system. So right. he doesn't have, I mean, I suppose I should say lighter, but or matches, but I, I'm I'm giving him the ignition system because just because you can light it with a match doesn't mean that you should, as right. someone wise once said. <laughs> um, and the abstract in his backpack, I'm calling sibling compassion. I like that. And then for his bike, uh, I made a neon color, mostly because the uh, 80s outfits in this movie seem to fit that very well. Uh, that gives That's a fast bike. It gives him a plus one on flight checks. And his upgrade is a bell, which has the ability of useful ringing. If you can make the case for how your ringing the bell helps your check, you get a, a plus one on your check. That's really cool. It's funny when we, we stat our characters Isn't it? <laughs> uh, separate from one another. So I, of course, have Terry, whose fear is abandonment. Right. Um. And this is definitely demonstrated from the fact that um, Terry has a father who's never around and his mother's just passed away. And it's it's interesting, too, that you get, you know, there's no parent to ask if he can spend the night, you know, like right. he just he's he just, just over there. And I and I think I think that's it, it, it may come across that he's doing so for Glenn's sake. Uh, I think it's it's very much for his. You've seen his house, even though he likes his metal. I think he does not want to be alone. Yeah. Uh, for trope, I went through and I was just like, okay, what could he possibly be originally? I went with conspiracy theorist. Which is what I thought when I was looking through the tropes. I thought that's what you were going to pick. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and one of the suggestions that I had for the second edition is originally conspiracy theorist was not available for kids. Uh, And I think it's probably arguable that that Terry is a very young teen as opposed to an older kid. So that could that could work. I'm never going to pay attention to those rules. There's so many good movies and programs where you have young conspiracy theorists. And sure. again, I'm really going to point to Gravity Falls with this one. That's a perfect example <laughs> of a kid conspiracy theorist. Uh, I went with over-eager enthusiast. I will say that this is, again, a trope I designed, and I really just called it eager enthusiast. Over-eager makes it sound like there's a pathetic element to it, and I don't really love that. Uh, John and Doug, but you know that's it's probably in print now, so right. it doesn't really matter. Um, I went with the strengths of intuitive and lucky, mainly because I mean clearly, uh, if if Terry doesn't find the album cover, he doesn't listen to the album cover at the time he listens to, and then decide to read the liner notes, the movie doesn't happen. Right. So when you have that situation, it's not really luck. Per se, but let's just, I'm calling it luck that when they survive, intuitive that he, you know, thought to pull on that album. It's the same case that I'm making for mine, you know, intuitive yeah, right, to right, fire which the rocket. It's funny. They're, yeah. In many ways, they're kind of similar characters. Which, what does that say about the movie? 
Yeah, I thought about that too, which is sort of like, they feel like well-rounded young kid characters. Right. But when I was looking at my potential team, uh, I was trying to think of like, where do these characters fit? Uh, who are they? Because I don't want too many of the same kind. And it's like, oh, wow, I've drafted a lot of the same kind. Um, <laughs> which is going to be really interesting when we decide to break this down uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so for Flaw Overconfident, mainly it, for that one scene where he's uh, he's reading from the book and casting them out. Again, great use of sound clip on that last episode. Um <laughs> And he's like, you're getting too close. Don't worry about it. And then he falls into right. the, the gate to hell, um, which is a fun scene, but almost entirely unnecessary to the overall plot of the story because he gets out just fine. And it's, it's a nice fake out. It's a nice fake out. It's true. It would have been interesting, the story of Terry wandering the hell dimension for a little while and then showing back up in the third act. I thought that would have been kind of cool. Uh, for his knack, business acumen. And the reason, and I originally was just thinking like fending for himself, and I think that's just too kind of vague and abstract, but business acumen, where they're cracking open geodes, they're looking for geodes specifically because we could sell us for a hundred bucks. I think this is a guy who has to fend for himself uh, and probably has to find money. So like, I think that's a kind of a fun way. Also, that is not a knack that any other characters that we have ever discussed in any of our other movies (laughs) have had. Um... For his abstract, for his backpack, for his abstract, I'm going with agency because he just doesn't have parents. Like, his dad's just not going to be around. Right. Uh, I thought at one point in time, because we see how grody his his kitchen is, and he just pulls up an open pizza box and just starts eating out of it. I thought, I almost gave him gross as a strength, but it doesn't really fit the character overall. But is um, agency really an abstract when when the, the whole idea is that these kids are supposed to have the agency? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I get that. I don't, I just don't, there's not really much as far as his abstract other than abandonment issues, but that's also his fear. So, right. like, I feel like your fear doesn't need, it's already labeled in there. Uh, physical um, headphones, uh, he has a, he probably has a tape player, though we never actually see what the headphones are attached to. And then he either has the album or the liner notes for an album that will be crucial to the plot, regardless of what the situation is. Um <laughs> Chekhov's album. (laughs) Yeah. um, Terry's really good at kind of filling in the blanks in this and giving us, like, not exposition dump per se. So I was liking the orange bike that has the ability to kind of hand out other um, AT to to players when you you roll and succeed. Um, So I thought that was kind of work for that one. As far as the upgrade is concerned... Boy, I wish we had seen him riding his bike from one place to another. Part of me is like, oh, do I give him something that kind of plays off? I think um, I, I almost gave mine the um, the ability to, to carry someone else because we never see Terry even having a bike. So Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what would be a good one with him. And I thought, you know, like, he manages to get from his house to their house pretty easily. So I thought either the basket, though I don't imagine him using one to carry an item, or something that helps him with any kind of brains rolls. So that's sort of what I've got there. Should we go over to social media to look over what some of our listeners have had to say about our last couple of episodes? Sure, listener feedback. Yeah, that's good. Uh, over on our Facebook group, Graham posted in response to uh, the question of who would you have chosen, who you have drafted from the It film. Uh, we've, of course, you got Beverly and I got Richie. And Graham says, I've been thinking about this one for a minute. Uh, Rafe, Bev is the best choice. Agreed. Graham, agreed. 
Yes, it's difficult when the best choice goes away. She says, super dark character, really good all around. Uh, and then he said, Richie is tough. At first, I thought a funny sidekick would be a real leader under the right circumstances. Uh, and then he refers to Mouth's, uh, this is my wish speech from all the way back to the Goonies. Yep. But yeah, Richie's anything but a funny sidekick. And it's not that I plan a team around Moses. Never mind, that's exactly what I would do. Same, Graham, clearly. <laughs> like, listen, a character that is not being uh, let go from my team is Moses. So then Graham throws out, so Drew, what if the adventure is various situations forcing each member of your team to cope with having greatness thrust upon them? I mean, that's sort of my team to begin with. Most kids on bikes movies is that very thing. Like there's at least one leader in every group, but I do like the idea that everyone gets a chance to lead as a game master. That is very difficult to do in a single session, but it would be easier to do in a, let's say a mini campaign of four to eight sessions. We probably would get a chance for everybody to jump in. It's difficult to set up because then you, once you give a player that leadership position, taking that away from that character is tricky. You don't want it to feel forced, but you still want it to feel narratively and thematically appropriate. Uh, and then we asked folks, uh, hey, who's familiar with The Gate? Did it give you nightmares? Because this is a film that you and I both kind of wish we had watched in 1987, yeah. um, but didn't get around to doing so. Uh, however, there was a member of our a group who had seen it, so Sarah responds, uh, and she says mild spoilers, but we've already discussed that. So she goes, yes, this gave me nightmares as a kid. My sister and I begged our parents to let us watch a scary movie at ages six and nine. <laughs> the Gate is what we chose at Blockbuster. She says, uh, continues, I slept at the foot of my bed for weeks in case the undead fell out of my walls. <laughs> I needed to be out of arm's reach. I uh, didn't watch another scary movie until I was 13. And then she goes on to say, I can't believe this one made the list. Gives me a reason to rewatch to see if it has the same reaction as, a, as an adult. So, Sarah, please let us know if you did, in fact, have that same reaction as an adult. I didn't, thankfully. I, I did not have any, any nightmares from this, but uh, I could definitely... I, I think I would have if I'd seen it at a, at a young age. I still think I would have loved it, but I think I would have had nightmares. Yeah, well, I think about the movies I did watch as a, as a young kid uh, and I had nightmares about, um, mainly E.T. Gremlins and uh, Cat's Eye, Stephen King's Cat's Eye. I had nightmares about E.T., uh, Michael Jackson from the Thriller video, sure. and uh, Statler and Waldorf. Wow! <laughs> and yet you still made it into theater. Was it just the heckling? Did you were you afraid that they were just going to? Uh... I have no idea. I just have very vivid memories of of them tormenting me in my dreams. I don't know if we've I've told this story or not. Have I told you the the night I watched American Werewolf in London and Fraggle Rock for the first time? Have, have we mentioned this one? <laughs> All right. So I'm eight years old. I go over to a friend's house for a sleepover. We watch American Werewolf in London and the very first episode I, I had seen of Fraggle Rock. American Werewolf in London, you know, it's a classic. Yeah. Um, it didn't scare me in the least. There's there's some good moments in it. But there's the episode of Fraggle Rock was they get lost in a cave and there is a clam in in this endless, endless cave that eats fraggles and when it does so their ghosts their spirits leave their puppet bodies and float around this clam and sing songs about you know beware of this this killer clan and the idea that they that muppets had souls and could become ghosts broke my tiny little brain and that was far more disturbing than anything that i got to watch 
in American World from London. And that's the end of that story. <laughs> so every month we look at uh, crowdsourced gaming and see if there's anything that tickles her fancy. Uh, Rafe, has there been anything that you've seen on Kickstarter or Backerkit or any of the different sources uh, in the last month? Several things, but they literally all expired within the last 48 hours. I backed several projects that I was planning on talking about, and then I realized, oh, uh, right. they're done. Here, here's the closed notification on this one. Here's the closed notification. Okay, all right. So, no, I got nothing because uh, everything I've been looking at just ended. Well, uh, I was worried about that, which is why I made my recommendation last week for whatever it was I recommended. Now it's it's kind of slipped my mind, but um, that has now ended. So by the time this comes out, it would have been gone as well. Um, The only thing I do want to say is that some time ago, Hasbro announced that they were re-releasing a game that really meant a lot to me about 15 years ago, which is called HeroScape. Which you and um, I talked about here when, yeah. they, when they attempted to crowdsource it. Yeah, and so that failed miserably. Right. Um, but here's the beautiful thing. Renegade has has gotten the rights to it, and they, are, they haven't announced when they're going to release it, but they are planning on releasing it. And one of the things that I really like about Renegade is... Oh, they release um, a little game called Kids on Bikes. So um, if the folks who make Kids on who produce, the, it's a company that, of course, uses Hunters and, and produces it, um, and, and along with a lot of IP games, is willing to pick that up, I think they're probably in some of the better hands, maybe even than, than Hasbro themselves, because uh, I think the main thing that they need to be careful of is do not give us a $250 price tag for the starter set, because right. I am just not willing to do that so there we go rafe two a month ago i gave you some podcasting homework this is something that i'm doing uh every month unless you decide that you just don't want to do it anymore but it's also something that i'm really hoping the audience will listen to and go hey we'd like to answer that question too again this is a thing that is a direct response to something along the lines like phil's be weird with i just like asking questions that involve movies and role-playing games so Last time, I asked you that if you could run a solo game for an individual from a specific movie on the set of that specific movie, who is the individual and what is that set? So do you have an answer for this? I, I do. I'm not thrilled with my answer to it because I've I've thrown out about half a dozen other answers that I just, just wasn't happy with. I'm not sure that I'm happy with the one that I have, but my answer is... Uh, on the set of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, Steven Spielberg. That era, Steven Spielberg. Because I think, I mean, not that his imagination isn't still going 100 miles an hour, but I think it was really in peak form in that era. And the idea of running a solo game with him at that age just really, I, that, I mean, it's it's still my hope, and I, I missed one opportunity, but it's still my hope to be able to uh, meet Spielberg at some point and have a conversation with him. Mm. So uh, Spielberg was a driving force um, in the late 80s of the cinematography merit badge, or the filmography right. merit badge for Boy Scouts. Because he's an Eagle Scout. Yeah, and I was on my way to being an Eagle Scout, and I wanted to be a film person, and when that badge came out, I wanted to be the first person to get it. And I got it very, very early. But clearly the kids in California had already, right. all, like he had already prepped them for that. And that was one of the things I was hoping that um, my short film that I made could be sent in and I would get a chance to meet him, yada, yada, yada. I think that's a great and excellent thing. And I, and I really like the fact that you chose a director and this is someone who's a, a fantastic storyteller. And the, let's face it, in many ways, the father of the genre that we are talking about right. now. So I think that's perfectly cromulent. 
I am going to go all the way back to the 70s uh, to a film that I talked about on the last podcast. Actually, when I brought up this question, uh, and the film that I'm going to be talking about is The Wicker Man, and the individual that I would like to play a solo game with is, is Sir Christopher Lee. I knew um, that's who you were going to say as soon as you said The Wicker Man. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's either that or Britt Eklund, really, in, in uh, <laughs> for The Wicker Man. Yeah, so Christopher Lee... I am slowly exploring Christopher Lee's filmography. I've just started rewatching some of the Hammer, or sorry, watching the Hammer films. I've got about 20 of the Hammer films now on DVD, and I'm really excited to go through it. I mean, Christopher Lee is an individual who, uh, as far as media is concerned, possibly one of the most interesting individuals from his you know time in Secret Service in the War to all the films. But the thing that struck me with this is Lee never really got a chance to shine as a a hero in any of his movies. He was always a villain. I mean, if you mm-hmm. sound like Christopher Lee, you're a villain. I mean, that's... Right. I mean, he he accepted that role. I don't think he ever complained about it. He just... Mm-mm. I know that he wanted to be a beloved character. And I love the idea that I could sit down and play a game where he could be the undisputed hero of a story. Mm. And I can see, you know... And the reason I chose The Wicker Man is, one, it's a movie that I love. Uh, and I think it's they're doing a lot of really interesting stuff in it. The more obvious choice would have been, why wouldn't I go to the set of any of the Lord of the Rings films? And the reason that I didn't choose those is that I didn't want his game to be Tolkien-inspired. Now, he is right. one of the great Tolkien fans. He reads the, all the trilogy every single year, or read the trilogy every single year. But I thought if we moved away from that scenario, right. and it was a fantasy world, and again, hopefully, in this scenario, I have a time machine, and I can take what I know about role-playing games now, where I can help him invest in the actual world-building. But I didn't want it to be that kind of drier historical fantasy right. world. Right, no, I got you. So I think something like The Wicker Man... Um, would be really interesting. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to meet the guy. So I thought that's really cool. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, nice. the the era that you're picking, because, I mean, like, you could have picked Lee from Lord of the Rings. That's certainly more recent. Uh, I mean, I could have picked Spielberg from, you know, The Fablemans, which came out last year. You know, the right. era that you, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's not that I don't like doing the questions, is that you make them so freaking huge in scale as far as like picking an answer. Like, like my my brain initially went to like Kubrick or Hitchcock, and I'm like, I don't think they'd actually be much fun to sit down and play a game with. And I went to Robin Williams, and I was like, I don't think I could control that. So like, I, 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 when I say I threw out like easily half a dozen answers, like I'm not kidding. Uh, um, it's it, it's a little they're a little too wide in scope. So, but I, I want to know what other people think, what some of our listeners think, as far as like where they would go, when when they would yeah. go, and who they would play with. Yeah, because this one has like movie sets and actors. Is, is I know my next question, which we'll get to in just a moment, I think is a little bit tamer. Um, you said that about this question last month when I complained about how wide open that one was. So <laughs> I don't trust your frame of reference, sir. <laughs> it's true. The problem is when my brain will will come up with an idea and it refines it over and over and over again over the course of two weeks. Now, I didn't really have a question until about six hours ago, and I was trying to figure out uh, you know, summer reading program. I started at the library. It is my busiest time of the year. I have no time to myself. Oh, I should actually say one more thing about role-playing games. One of the reasons I haven't watched as many movies is that the <laughs> last weekend, my brother-in-law gave me a PlayStation 4. So I have a video game system for the first time in probably 15 years. And so I have been doing that. 
Oh, you buried the lead there. What have you been playing? A game called Cult of the Lamb, which is essentially Animal Crossing if you were a satanic lamb. But all of your your cult members are adorable, and you still (laughs) harvest vegetables and stuff like that. But there's also ritual sacrifice. Um, Anyway, so that's fun. Here is my question for your next for the next homework assignment for your podcast homework, and it, it is simply this: I want you to choose a movie soundtrack, not score, a movie soundtrack that will inspire your next gaming campaign. So the game is up to you. Any of the other aspects is up to you. It just is a movie soundtrack. It's one, and I should say, um, should we limit it to something that actually was released on CD or you could get on Spotify or something like that? So rather than, there's a lot of soundtracks out there to films that, that never got released because it probably wasn't a market for it. So that's maybe a little too obscure. Yeah. But, and, and this, of course, was inspired by Crush Point Blank, uh, clearly. Soundtrack, but not score. Yes, uh, unless you want score, and then we can do that. But I was just thinking, like... Maybe we'll save score for another time. I'm a big fan of film scores, so... Um... Well, we talk about it all the time, and I was like, is this the question I want to use the score for? That will influence yeah. your next game session? Gaming game session. Cam- gaming campaign. session. Yeah, actually, let's say game campaign. Like, campaign. you are starting... Your, your players are sitting down, and you are going to listen to a, a full... What is generally an hour to 90-minute soundtrack, sometimes only 35, depending on what you get... Um, that will inspire the creation of your next campaign. What is it? Okay. All right. Drew. Yeah. You have been stalling. I have. Created new segments to prolong things. It's true. Because uh, note, remember, when we started these intermissions, we did not talk about movies and stuff at the top. We did not have the podcast homework question. Uh, and you even threw in a story about having a PS4 now. So you've been stalling. I have. Like it or not, it is the end of our kids on bikes season with our next month. It is our last film mm-hmm. 12 out of 12 and it is your pick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, obviously I've been stalling because this is a momentous. There's, there's still, I'd say, I, I think in the last podcast, I think they said there was like three more that needed mm-hmm. to get picked and you did not pick one of those three. And so I was looking at that, and then you just talked about watching these films, and it made me remember a film that I wanted to talk about and I completely forgot about. Uh, There are some films that, again, like I mentioned, people are going to be really upset that didn't show up, Uh, and that's a shame because there's no way, unless we decide to, like, throw on an extra episode or something like that. Um, But I wanted to make sure that the film that we were talking about definitely hit all three of our requirements for a kids on bikes movie. This is this was definitely one that there was going to be no question whether this is I wanted a film where the kids definitely had bikes. They had mm-hmm. agencies, they had bikes, it had a location that was important to the plot. Uh and I wanted to make sure that there was at least 3 or more of them. And so I found a film that I think everyone will agree fits these. I mean, you've and it is dipping back into the horror genre, but again, kid-friendly horror genre and you know it has a group of kids one might even say a squad of kids that have to fight creatures you know some might even call them monsters uh and that is of course uh 2020's vampires versus the bronx yes a film that we we, was mentioned a couple of times on this podcast and Mm -hmm. i hadn't seen until fairly recently it is a netflix exclusive film Uh, i have watched it and i have a lot of thoughts on it i think you're going to find it is inspired 
inspired by so many of the movies that you and I have discussed. Have you seen this yet? I've not seen this one yet. Yeah. It, it was one of the contenders for my pick uh, for this one. It was one of the yeah. contenders, but I, I I went with nostalgia instead of contemporary. Right, and I completely understand with that. Um, yeah, this is a film that, uh, you know, this is something that Doug Lewandowski and and Jonathan Gilmore had, had talked about really were like one of their favorites, and that, of course, got me intrigued. Um, and so this was always going to be at the top of my list. It was. I watched it. I'm not going to tell you what I thought about it, but I definitely feel like it is deserves to be discussed because even though there's a lot that we are going to discuss that has been discussed prior, there's a lot of familiar territory. It's done so in a way that I think is is unique and really opens, uh, I think opens the doors for some interesting characters to come onto our teams, which is the other thing I was really excited about, is that there are several characters that can that can pop in there, I think, that'll enhance our teams. So there we go. That is the next and last Kids on Bikes film that we are going to be talking about. I know some of you are probably scratching your heads <laughs> as to why at least one or two major exclusions. And we will talk about that. Because in order to give your movie fair time, equal time that we've done the others, we need to do a, a movie discussion and an intermission on that. Right. So we have at least one more episode past that where we finalize our teams and kind of bring an end That's to true. the season. So we will talk about um, some of these other films, uh, uh, why they didn't get picked or, or, or such uh, as yeah. we get as we actually draw the season to a close. So our, I think that's, our next that's month fair. episode will be just regular same cycle we've had. And mm-hmm. then we will start talking about how we're closing out the season and what is coming next. I'm actually really excited to have that discussion as well, because I thought I knew exactly what we were going to be talking about and you have made a suggestion that has <laughs> that will not leave me alone well and you s- did the same thing to me when we when we kicked this off i knew exactly I what season two was going to be and like three months in you were like what about this i was like oh <laughs> yeah 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 that's what happens when you give drew any amount of free time is i overcomplicate things so so that's what we're going to do so uh you know there there you go that's two weeks time so join us in those two weeks time for our discussion of vampires versus the bronx until then you can find this podcast on all podcatchers you can email us at the never say die podcast at gmail.com you can find us on our facebook group please join that group we are also on twitter at never say Diecast. Thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Megan Daly for our show artwork. And if you like what you've heard, why not go to one of those podcatchers and leave us a five-star review? It helps others find the show. It makes us feel loved and wanted. We did not talk about Drew's ego this month, but it's really important to him. It is. It's true. I need to feel loved and wanted. Uh, It's like so many of our characters in our last film that we talked about. I, too, have abandonment issues. (laughs) And remember, even if... Your fantasy gaming table consists of Robin Williams, Quentin Tarantino, and Alfred Hitchcock. Never say die. Never say die.